Thank you for joining us on another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. With me as always, and brooding and scowling a little bit over there, my co-host, Kirk. Hello, hello. I'm your other co-host, Cam. Are you trying to do the people's eyebrow thing that he does? I was just trying to be as angry and upset as Black Adam is the entire two-hour runtime of this film. Yes, very serious guy, Black Adam. Um, and and there you have it, folks. That's that's the movie we're discussing this week. It is a movie review episode. We are discussing Black Adam, uh, the first real blockbuster movie we've had in a while. We've been watching a lot of things. The block the box office hasn't had a hundred million dollar weekend. In a really long time, that drought was ended this weekend with Black Adam, which made $67 million domestically, $140 million worldwide in its first weekend. And uh, it was partnered with uh, Ticket to Paradise, the Julia Roberts, George Clooney rom-com starring, also starring Caitlin Deaver that did another, like, I don't know, like around 20-ish alongside it. And with that combined with smile which still is performing pretty well the box office finally cracked 100 million again so finally finally we're back. the way you said that <laughs> the way you you prop you propped that up you said black adam and ticket to paradise it sounded like we went to a, a double feature yeah that's right and we went to yeah we went to ticket to paradise no i haven't seen that one yet um i'm in, i'm vaguely intrigued by it just because it's george clooney and julia roberts but The big ticket item this weekend was, of course, Black Adam. This movie has been marketed to oblivion. This is the big return of DC to the cinematic stage. Uh, Many of their projects have gotten delayed, but this one, after 15 years in Inception, um, it is is here. And we are going to talk about it, but here's the other thing. We have a bit of a wonky schedule this week because we... Decided not to do what's popping last night because there just really wasn't enough to talk about. There was, of course, the Ant Man and the Wasp Quantum Manium trailer, which we will talk about at some point. But that was the only thing, so we didn't think it justified a stream. And let me tell you, Kirk, for the first time ever, we lucked out. We lucked out big time on this because the biggest story <laughs> in film in a while dropped today, and now we get to talk about it on this episode. And usually. Like, if we had recorded last night, we would have totally missed the boat on it. And now we actually, our number got called, and we're, we're here, Kirk. We're ready. As DC and Warner have announced that producer Peter Safran and rock star director James Gunn will take over as co-chairman and co-CEOs of the new DC Films unit, which they are calling DC Studios. Pretty big, Kirk. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, so they're so in this because I've only glanced at the article and yes. the news. DCEU just goes, it's just DC Studios. How's that work? So it used to be called so the, the the film arm of DC at Warner Brothers was called DC Films. Okay, and this eliminates that, and it will now further be known as DC Studios, and the universe of films will be known as the DC Universe, not DC oh. Extended Universe, which was a fan-created term anyway. Uh, yeah. DCEU was always a fan-made term, so that one is finally retired, which I think is great. Hallelujah. Uh, but now we have the MCU and the DCU uh, <laughs> to keep you know things what I nice love? and simple. 
this is announced the day after the the weekend after Black Adam. So the question is, <laughs> is Black Adam part of the DCEU? <sighs> they closed the door. <laughs> And the DCU is now open for business. I know. It's it's curious timing, especially since this dropped on the very same day that they dropped the trailer for the Marvel film or special presentation that James Gunn directed, the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special. Like, literally yes. hours after that, it's like, hey, here's James Gunn's new Marvel thing. And, oh, by the way, he's now CEO of DC Studios. Like, <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff going on today. Um we will get into all of it. So here's what we're going to do. All right. I'm going to break it down. We are going to review Black Adam first, and we are going to do it with spoilers. Okay. But don't leave yet. If you haven't seen Black Adam, just stop now, look in the description, and there will be a timestamp there telling you where our conversation on the new DC Studios news resumes. Um, just skip forward in your podcast to there. You won't get any Black Adam spoilers. Um, that The Rock didn't already give. And right. uh, we will, you'll be able to hear our take on the new DC Studios, James Gunn, Peter Safford news there. Okay. Sound like a plan, Kirk? Perfect planning. Perfect agenda. Check, check, check. Gold star. Love it. Thank you. I needed that. I needed that. All right. Let's talk about this movie, Kirk. We're talking, of course, about Black Adam, as we have said. Um, this is a movie that has been in the works for 15, uh, you know, according to according to Dwayne Johnson, in the works for 15 years. He's been trying to get this off the ground with uh, DC, and it is finally here. His company, Seven Bucks Productions, um, that he is a part of with uh, Danny Garcia and others, is the one that's producing this film, and this is, this is his baby. This is his baby, and this is uh, DC. We've been promised big things from Dwayne Johnson, and this is the start of that, supposedly, in Black Adam. So let's get into this review, Kirk. We're going to start, as we always do, with a quick synopsis. And this week, it is me, so I will do my best to try to synopse this movie for you. All right, Black Adam. So Black Adam is a uh, hero from long, long ago who um, actually goes by the name of Teth Adam. That was the name of the champion. And very similar to Shazam, if you have seen that movie, the wizards, uh, you know, the, the like, whatever they call them, the Guild of Wizards or the League of Wizards, um, anointed a child with the powers of Teth Adam to protect the city um, of Kondok from what at the time was a very tyrannical ruler. Um, uh, you know, they, they worship Sabak or Sabat or Sabak or something like that. And they were using their power to oppress people and, and Kondak needed a champion. So very much like Shazam where a kid gets anointed powers by a wizard. Um, Black Adam is from that same exact line of powers. Only the difference here is that, Black Adam is not really a hero. So in our story, we get to see the beginning of that, and then we see him get resurrected in the future as someone is trying to save themselves as they are searching for the crown of Sabat, which is supposed to be this very powerful artifact made of Eternium. And they end up resurrecting or, or conjuring up Black Adam, and he comes through and wrecks everybody who's trying to get that crown and basically is is just there to protect Kondok and ends up 
tied up with this family who has the crown and they're trying to turn on intergang, which is the like gang, uh, like gang of mercenaries, I guess that has overrun the city of conduct and is kind of oppressing people. And so they become black Adams kind of like enemy number one. And he starts taking those guys out. Then the uh, justice society gets wind of black Adam. They are called by Amanda Waller, who is still played by Viola Davis to go in and deal with the problem. And Hawkman and Dr. Fate cyclone and Adam smasher head to conduct to deal with black Adam. And from there antics ensue. There's this whole thing about like whether they should take down black Adam or, or, you know, who's, who's good, who's bad, what have you, as they deal with, um, some bad guys trying to get their hands on the crown of Sabat. And uh, that's pretty much it. That is much more confusing whenever I explain it. Cause I, I, I didn't eloquent either. It's two possibilities, Kirk. And I think I know which one it is. It's either the plot of the movie is really confusing or I did a really bad job explaining it. I think it was that I did a really bad job explaining it because honestly, like, oh, no, I don't think the plot is that confusing. It's like, okay, we've got, Ancient crown that gives people power. Okay, we've seen that in all sorts of things. We've got ancient dude who you can summon by saying magic words. Got it. He is trying to get the crown because he's trying to keep the crown from falling in the hands of the wrong people. The bad guys are trying to get the crown, and that's pretty much it. That's it. Yeah, but there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of other noise in oh, this. Oh, sure. I mean, I mean, I, the whole, like... And then the Justice Society gets called in thing is like, wait, what? Where, where did that come from? And let's, and let's develop all of them in this same movie while we're trying to introduce you to the main villain slash main character. So yes. there is, it is no fault of your there, own, my there's, brother. There's a lot. It's just, as I, I, it was one of those things, <laughs> I felt like Michael Scott where it's like, sometimes I start a sentence and <laughs> I don't know where I'm going <laughs> uh, because I was like, as I was explaining it, I was thinking of more things. It was just, it was bad. You're like, but, oh, in order to make that make sense, I got to tell you these six other things <laughs> right. or subplots that support and stand up this. Yeah, it's a mess. It's a, it's a mess for sure. But the good thing is, if you're still listening to the review, that you've probably <laughs> seen the movie because we, we gave a spoiler warning at the beginning. So you've probably seen it or don't care enough. So that is a good thing. Now that this the synopsis <laughs> listening to the podcast, like, dude, they started talking about the synopsis and I bailed. I bailed out. I was gone. Uh, yeah. Well, whatever, Rick, we don't, we didn't need you anyway. Um, <laughs> let's talk about this movie and let's talk about the acting performances. Kirk, we're going to start as we always do with a category called and the Oscar goes to, which goes to the best actor in the film. In our opinion, I'm giving mine with much chagrin and remorse and with a heavy heart to Pierce Brosnan. Oh, um, wow. I know, I know Kirk. I said I would never do it. And for those of you who are not uh, a friend of the program for, for more than this episode or more than recently, um, you should know that me and Pierce Brosnan have some history. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that history being, I'll very briefly summarize I saw him at an airport in Maui. I did not crowd him. Nobody was crowding him. I was like, all right. You know, my, my whole family's like, oh, go go talk to him. You know, you're a huge fan. Go talk to Pierce Brosnan. I was like, oh, no, I don't, you know, I don't want to do it. He's here with his wife. Like, I, I don't want to bother him. Whatever. Well, 
where you end up at the same terminal, like near the same gate. And he's sitting at the bathroom, outside the bathroom, just scrolling his phone, like clearly leisurely waiting for his wife as she uses the restroom. And I'm like, all right, you know what? He's just chilling. This isn't intrusive. I'm just going to go over there and introduce myself and ask if he would take a quick photo because that would be so cool. And I was like, hey, Mr. Brosnan, huge fan. Would love to grab a quick photo if you have a minute. Um, he didn't even look up from his phone, didn't look at me at all, and just said, no, not right now. And I was like, you know what? That's It's, it's totally fine to be like, no, I don't want to take a photo right now. But I thought the not looking up from the phone and just being like, buzz off that just rubbed me the wrong way so right he's right, on my right, list right. kirk he's on my list he hurt my feelings and i'm not okay with it however if this is your winner i feel like this is an olive branch i feel like this is no. the moment where he can listen to this episode <laughs> and say you know i'm terribly sorry for for the mistakes i've made for the sins i've committed and i would love to take a picture with you, Cam. I think that's what we're waiting for. This is the, I am. This is the turning point. Uh, speaking personally, I, I am waiting for that. I thought I was getting that photo. I would have loved to have had it. I had it. I mean, he's James Bond, for God's sakes. He's been in tons <laughs> of big movies. He's a cool guy. And everybody says he's super nice. Um, but man, something about me, just really, he was not feeling it that day. And we all have bad days, so maybe I should give him a break. But anyway, I'm still hurt. And if he if he does watch this, or listen to this and wants to take a photo, I will fly wherever to make that happen. Near, far, wherever you are, Pierce Brosnan. That's right. We're coming for We're you. We're coming for you. Anyway. In a non-threatening way. <laughs> as much as I didn't want to do it because of our, our very troubled history together, I, I chose Pierce Brosnan, who played Dr. Fate in this movie. I mean, to me, this was like, the, 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 it wasn't even close. I, I mean, I just... His character, I think his character was the best character in the movie, and I think his performance was the best performance in the movie. Like, his character was sort of, um, you know, it's funny because Doctor Strange is sort of based off of Doctor Fate. Doctor Fate came first, and, you know, DC and Marvel often steal ideas from one another. And he plays a very similar role to that as kind of like the elder statesman, someone who's burdened by knowing too much about too many things, and someone who has to step in as a leader. But I really liked what Pierce Brosnan brought to this performance in that he really, he made this character more than just like a superhero, which every other character kind of seemed to be just a superhero. Like he had a real um, authenticity to him that the other characters really lacked. And he had relationships and he, the way that he interacted with people was different. Like I loved the way that he interacted with Cyclone and Adam Smasher, who are like new to the hero game, he really kind of like fathered them through that journey. And then he also takes on this role of, you know, being a really good friend to Hawkman and sort of being the yin to his yang, where Hawkman is like the like like the straight man, totally all business, all the time, always tough, whatever. Dr. Fate is like kind of urging him to to see things as a different way. Um, to look at it from a different perspective. And I just thought that the way Pierce Brosnan executed that was really well done. And he actually made it so that, here's here's your first spoiler of the episode, when his character decides to sacrifice himself to save Hawkman, you, you feel it. And, and I think that that's a good thing because I don't think there was a lot to feel in this movie outside of that. And so that was, that was the moment for me... Um, where I was like, you know what, this is this is my 
my winner. I just think that this is the one character that I was able to emotionally connect with. And it's strictly because of the work that Pierce Brosnan did. So that for me was the winner and he gets my Oscar. You just uh, drop on that first spoiler. It's also the biggest spoiler of the film. Yeah, <laughs> so. I mean, it is unless you, yeah, it, it is the biggest spoiler of the film, but you got to get it out there at some point, right? You do. I love it. I, I think it's it was very bold and wonderful how casual it was. This is just the first one. <laughs> it is the spoiler. I love it. I love it. I'm going to piggyback right off that because Mr. Pierce Brosnan is also my Oscar goes to. I was a little worried because of your history, Cam, uh, of choosing him, but I had to. I had to. Exactly the, the, everything you said, uh, he is the the Doctor Strange character. Uh, I did not know which one came first. I assumed that they were rivals uh, between the comic book uh, creators. Um, the biggest thing that I appreciate about Pierce's uh, role in this is that he seems very burdened by his gifts, by his powers. Um, when you see Dr. Strange in his, he's like, I have earned this and I, I, I will protect it. And he's, he's responsible, but at Dr. Fate, he's just kind of over it. Uh, he hasn't like, he's not going to throw in the towel, but he's like, Oh my gosh, this is awful. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, which that energy somehow still doesn't bring down, uh, the room. He just knows that there is so much, so many horrible things that could happen and he can see them happen in real time as they are going to happen in this universe and hundreds and hundreds of others to all the people here he surrounds himself with. So he really does keep to himself quite well and quite nicely. Um, uh, based on your interaction with Pierce Brosnan and Maui, I think he was uh, destined to play this role <laughs> because uh, no, not right now. <laughs> Just constantly burdened. Constantly, constantly burdened is Pierce Brosnan. Uh, I, I really there there are so many other little things that from the way he he handled his helmet that that uh, it, it really wasn't like let me get my armor. It was like let me throw this on. I've got to do something uh, and. Uh, and just his his overall movement, because again, he is James Bond. He is a very seasoned, very um, studious. Uh, student, even at his his ripe, wonderful age in his 60s, that he's going to take the time, even in a superhero movie, to know that this character matters to someone. And he made it matter to himself. So, Pierce, you win it times two tonight. Bravo. Yes. See, this this shows, I think this should this should build some trust with the listeners, with between me and them, because I was willing to overcome my personal differences with Mr. Brosnan to deliver an honest and truthful review. So I feel yeah. like I should get some brownie points for that. And Kirk, you get brownie points for choosing the right person because I, like I said, it was, <laughs> this was, I think the only <laughs> choice I really do. Like, I really do think that. Um, and, and the reason for that, I guess we should talk about it because, um, you know, Dwayne Johnson is the star of this movie. He is, he is top billing, but what's really weird for me in, first of all, he gets very little dialogue. Yeah. Don't you think he gets like very little spoken dialogue in this movie and there's no, there's no like character arc for him and no journey that his character goes on. He's kind of just like here the whole way, you know, like he's, he's yeah. always here. So there's really just not much for him to do. I think definitely it's getting to the point for me with Dwayne Johnson where He's definitely like a guy you see on screen and you're like, oh yeah, that's Dwayne Johnson. He's a, you know, he's a big celebrity 
but I still don't see him as like an actor. And I think that I started to see him that way with Jumanji. And I feel like everything I've seen him in since then is like taking a step back. Yes, that is exactly right. It's almost like he's taking on too many projects where he can't actually focus on the character because they all just kind of blend together because he's just checking them off the list, memorizing his lines and getting to the next job. Yeah. Yeah. I was really hoping because he had such an emotional connection to this character in real life. Like he, he was the one who just sort of willed this project into existence. I, I doubt there would even be a black Adam live action film just about black Adam without Dwayne Johnson. I thought maybe because of that, it would really lead to a standout performance that would sort of elevate him in the world of acting um, because I, I do think there is something there I, that he has not fully tapped into yet, perhaps. Um, because I, frankly, like most of what he does right now, I just, I just find him to be a very corny person and I have nothing against him personally, but just like, I just find the guy to be extremely corny, but there are, there are glimpses, you know, like I think Jumanji there, there, there are other films where there are glimpses of like even Hobbs and Shaw, there are moments where you're like, okay, there's something here. Right. Um, and he just hasn't really quite found it yet. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I did not think this was a standout performance uh, by him at all. And I don't think he got too much of a chance, but I also just don't think it was good when he did get his chances. Yeah. He should have really been, uh, he was very focused obviously on his, his presence, his physicality as he should be. Yep. His body shape for this was so much different than I've ever seen his body before. Um, I mean it, that, that in itself was, was its own character because <laughs> like normally he will beef up everything and his shoulders were kind of slimmed down. Like oh, at the tops of his, of his biceps and everything were, were just very, his whole body was just shaped so differently. His training was completely different than what he normally takes on yes. for his other roles. And it looked really good. He looked perfect. It didn't look like the rock just squeezed into a superhero yes. suit. It looked like this is a different being. And I appreciated that. However, that's where it really ended. Yeah. <laughs> that's really, really where it ended. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, they tried to do it like a Terminator two vibe, Terminator two, John Connor vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger goes through a real, uh, a real transformation in that movie uh, with his AI learning and Black Adam. A human <laughs> does not. <laughs> yeah, there's just not enough there. There's not. There's not enough substance on either the writing or his performance. It just. It just didn't work out. Um, so let's get into scene stealer. Hopefully, you didn't pick <laughs> Dwayne Johnson as your scene stealer, Kirk, because I just uh... kind of blew that up. But. Um, for my scene stealer, I felt like this one was easy for me, at least. I don't know that it's necessarily a slam dunk for everybody, but I'm going with Noah Centineo, who is um, an up-and-comer in this field. He has gotten a couple big projects recently, and I know that he's uh, getting ready to star in a few more projects. He played Adam Smasher in this film, and he wasn't really asked to do a lot. He is this. He is a new member of the Justice Society who has been recruited by Hawkman and uh, Amanda Waller and the powers that be to help, you know, be a part of their super team. And he he's great because he provides this really unaware, you know, ignorant kind of persona on the group where he's just kind of showing up and he's like, 
literally saying things like, Hey, where's, where's the snacks? I, I need to eat a lot because I, I get giant and run around and I burn a lot of energy off. And he just doesn't know anything about anything, but is just there trying to help. Um, he often, or at least early in the film is messing a lot of things up and he just has this really nice kind of like puppy dog persona to him that he carves out. It feels very genuine. Um, he doesn't overdo it, which is the biggest thing for me is that he, he really just keeps it simple and, and doesn't overact it, which I think so many people do when they're asked to play the like innocent kind of bimbo character, they overdo it. And then it just makes it feel disingenuous and really clunky and, and cheesy. And he didn't do that. I felt like he really stayed in his lane. He made sure that he, even though he didn't have a lot of depth to his character, that he was making it feel honest and making it feel real. And I respected that a lot because I think that especially being a young actor, there is a tendency to want to make your mark. I mean, this is his first big uh, break really in terms of being in a massive budget superhero movie for a huge studio and he chose to just play the role that was on the call sheet and and I really respect him for that and I thought that it was really solid um so Noah Centineo great job we'll keep an eye on you buddy sound the alarm we're two for two tonight yes killing it it was so easy in fact he almost snuck into my best words, my best Oscar award tonight because he didn't overplay it because he was genuine, authentic the entire time. Uh, there's even a moment where they gave him like a, a, a giant KFC bowl and he's got like hot wings that he's eating as he approaches Black Adam and it's the dumbest thing. Very dumb. Ever. Yeah. You can tell they filmed more footage for that and they absolutely tossed it because he he gets rid of that thing real quick and he only says one joke and it, it's barely in his hands for it. So terrible idea. Definitely a DC move <laughs> to, to put that in there in that particular manner in a very uh, pivotal scene for the movie. Also, uh, there's also a lot of weird stuff with, um, hey, we just fought and let's immediately go talk to you. That's I think that's that scene right there. Like he went and grabbed lunch while they go back. It's weird. Anyways, <laughs> Noah Centineo, uh, Centineo, sorry. He is, he, he's just really spot on. He's pitch perfect with it. Um, Cam, you mentioned he's got some big stuff coming up. He's going to be in Netflix's The Recruit, uh, which is based off the early 2000 Colin Farrell and Al Pacino film, which was great. So this is going to be great. I'm glad that it's not like going to NBC or CBS or something. It's going to have like real um, uh, flexibility so that it's on, it's on a platform streaming channel. So that's exciting. He kills it. I want to see more of him. Um, If I would even see a full Adam Smasher uh, film uh, or maybe a DC TV series. Maybe they could do that. Uh, have him sneak into the next season of Peacemaker or something. I feel like those two could hit it off him and John Cena pretty well, pretty well. I think those characters would, would play very well with each other. Just two bros like on an adventure, you know? So it, it absolutely was a, a fun ride for him. And I'm glad that he made it through the end of it. And I'm glad that his character 
uh, as they portrayed it on film, wasn't just a gimmick. That it wasn't just he's going to get big, he's going to smash things, right? He it really was. There were different levels to when he was able to do that, how strong he was when he was full size, when he was fighting, when he wasn't. There, there was it was good. I really, I really thought they did a good job with his character, um, way more so than Black Adam. I mean, you even had the the kind of little little romance between him and cyclone going on laid some good uh some good groundwork there and uh, far and beyond better better character dev than than black adam so kind of shocking they spent more time on him or was it the actor i think it was the actor i think you're right kirk and um i thought i thought um quintessa swindell who played cyclone was good too i thought they had really good chemistry i felt like that they they really worked well together and and their scenes were a really really welcome change of pace and fresh of uh, breath of fresh air not a fresh of breath air um in the movie and i was i was thankful for them through throughout whenever we got those little those little moments um yes because i think it's worth noting kirk i know we don't give or acknowledge things other than the best performances there were some stinky, stinky performances in this movie. I mean, I mean, rough. Like, <laughs> like we saw this together. I was openly laughing at one particular <laughs> character. Um, nothing personal against this kid. It was Bodhi uh, Sabangui who played Amen Amen Tomas. Holy wow! So bad. It just, yeah. it just was not. Like sorry, dude, but just no. And and his his mom, who was played by Sarah Shahi, um, no, uh, like really rough stuff. I mean, just like and and just progressively got worse. That was the thing. Is yeah. like it started out bad and somehow just got worse and worse and worse. In fact, I think the, one of the last scenes with Bodhi's character, where he's trying to like rally the town to fight against the like skeleton men who have rose risen from the ground is so laughably bad because he's trying to give like a, uh, like a rousing speech of like, Hey, these hands built Kondok and now they're going to defend it. And it, it, it just comes off with the worst delivery ever. I'm like, nobody's, rallying to battle behind that it was so rough yeah he he rolls up on his skateboard oh, <laughs> like man. almost like you know like in walking dead when you're uh when you're hurting <laughs> the giant group of zombies <laughs> he's doing that on a skateboard and he's like hey guys like look what i found it's it's, so it's rough awful. man this, everything they did with him and his skateboard in this movie was bad and i would not have av- advised it i was like yes, he, this he was john stopped. connor his mom was Sarah Connor. Uh, she was, I, I didn't dislike her. She just really, they didn't give her the right dialogue. Like her. No, dialogue yeah. Was the dialogue was bad. So specific. I don't know. It was like, <laughs> it was like when she talked, you barely knew what she was talking about because it got so in the weeds that you yes. couldn't bring yourself. You're like, what? Like, okay. Like that, that makes no emotional connection to me whatsoever. You're trying real hard, but this is this is silly <laughs> talk right here. Yes, it's so true. The jibber jabber from the from the temple of Denonquin, and it's yeah, just it was just awful. like okay, yeah, not her fault, not her fault. This kid, his fault, one hundred percent. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, okay, let's talk about the production here. Let's start with the good stuff. Let's talk about showstopper. 
In this movie, mine is extremely simple. It was just about the only thing that really made me happy in this film, if I'm being completely honest, and that was the character design of our heroes, specifically our heroes, um, because the main villain in this movie is one of the worst CGI characters I think I've ever seen, maybe <laughs> since... What is that movie? Is it The Mummy Returns with Dwayne Johnson where they have the, the CGI scorpion thing that looks really bad? Scorpion um, King, yeah. Oh, is it right. Scorpion King? No, no. It's uh it is the Mummy Returns it's where a, it's a the CGI Scorpion King like, is introduced. Oh, okay, yes. And it's like a and spider then, thing that like Yeah. Or what it, is there's it? twofold. Twofold in there, right? So they show the Scorpion King um like his backstory to uh set up the villain, right? And from what I understand, they <laughs> they didn't have uh, the Rock like was so busy uh, with his wrestling career that he didn't have time to come in and actually do like a like a like a scan of his face. Uh, so they That's just right. had to kind of guess. On top of the rest of the CGI body being terrible, he just looked like a you know like a celebrity death match. If you ever saw that show back in the early two thousands, uh, that's what he looked like, it, but in like a full. Uh, multi-million dollar movie right so then but then at the end of the movie he turns into this na- nasty gnarly spider and it's just as bad as they get to that point too yeah yeah <laughs> yes, i pulled him on the screen now <laughs> yeah i remember the, the the devs like the the guys who were doing the artwork talking about how it was deep fake technology and they didn't have all of the angles of his face that they needed so they had to guess at a bunch of stuff so it's really a nightmare <laughs> on their end definitely not their fault definitely the the production the production's fault, but that is how, that is almost how bad this villain looked to me. I thought he looked absolutely horrible. I could, I, I seriously, I was like gasping out loud. I was so horrified by how bad he looked. I could not believe that this was a major villain in a movie in 2022 with a big budget. I just was shocked at how I've seen video game characters that look so much better than that. Um, yeah. Anyway, the characters that we had as heroes looked excellent. I loved Dr. Fate's look. Holy smokes, did he look so great. His helmet was sick. Hawkman's outfit, excellent. Black Adam looked good, though I wish they would have modernized the suit a little bit more so it didn't have so much um, trapezius muscles going on here, like so much neck happening. I feel like if they could have kind of cinched it up, almost like a Superman suit, closer to the neck that would have been a good thing it it was comic book accurate but sometimes it's better to make that look uh better for film and even cyclone cyclone was probably the one costume i didn't like as much but um adam smasher looked great i thought they all looked great i thought that whenever they were in action um they were vibrant well balanced uh looks nice in in battle and in action and i thought especially this goes a bit beyond the purview of character design solely, but the way that they did Dr. Fate's um, action sequences were excellent. So it's like, make a Dr. Fate movie. I'm, I'm ready. Pierce Brosnan's ready. The The team that is in charge of his uh, animations and, and all of that stuff is ready. I thought everything about that character looked great. Um, and really the only thing I loved in this movie was how those characters looked. That's all. That was my main takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I like all the heroes costumes except for, I do think that Adam Smasher's mask should have been adjusted slightly because it's straight up 
looks like Deadpool. It does. I mean, it is it is like a Deadpool mask. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that there are some of the comics that he is from that just look like that. That was just like a cool look. I know that the original Watchmen uh, graphic novel is kind of look like that, right? Like yes. the, from the from the DC worlds and everything. And so, but I do think that when Deadpool is so big and so prominent, you have to change it for film. And I hope when Adam Adam Smasher returns, that's a hard two words to say let's just let's just stop for a moment adam smasher <laughs> adam smasher it's hard. That it is, is hard. hard that is difficult uh i hope that when he returns that they adjust his mask just a little not a lot it's not going to take a lot just make those eyes a little bit different that's all it takes but other than that i did not really have qualms with the costumes my director's shoes i uh, actually showstopper. oh yeah showstopper <laughs> don't don't be mean yet kirk <laughs> just wait my showstopper goes to surprisingly the beginning of this movie as it opened and as we have the terrible terrible narration from the same uh actor yes Mr. dude what in the just, world why why was he selected he knows so many people or has blackmail on so many people either way or both he opens us up, and if you can get past his voice because you haven't seen his face and his non-acting on screen, uh, you it really is a good story. It really is a captivating story. It's a, it's about an enslaved uh, people. They're hunting for this crown that's going to provide great power, or, or this gem, rather, uh, the Eternium, and they are just forced. They're forced to take this on. They have no choice. They have no choice. Just this tyrant. It's just a really good easy digestible power struggle and this is good all the way up until the king speaks and then it just goes downhill from there but up until that moment it is just a very solid uh depiction because as it opened i'm like how much how much time are we going to spend here why is this why are these particular set pieces so big um, there's something critical that they felt really ties to Black Adam so well with knowing this is his origin. This is his villain origin story right here. So the the time that they spent on it, the money, the production they spent on that part of the story, I believe was well spent, was well focused. So I did appreciate that very much so because they were real sets. They were non-CGI sets. They were on location. And that, that's a very difficult feat to take on. And I thought it was really 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 well executed all right i think my problem with that is still they did the thing the like Zack snyder dc thing with the sepia filter and that and that was really throughout the whole movie where they just kind Mm -hmm. of like have that like tent over the the film that just makes you feel like you're nowhere near reality but i agree that like the city of kondok looked great in those scenes and i thought that even like the visual storytelling, they were, they were well attuned to that in those scenes. Whereas like every other scene, it was just like, how many frames can we smash into this at what speed? Like that's, that was what the rest of it felt like. Um, yeah, it did. I agree. Um, let's talk about director shoes on that note. I'm going to kick us off. I think for me, the sequencing of events in this movie was really puzzling. Um, I think this movie has a ton of issues, but I think, among the biggest are that we've got a relatively straight line plot in this movie and they dis- they make a really questionable decision to just kind of muddy it up for the sake of muddying it. I don't really know how to explain it, but 
basically it's like sequence of events is that our guy, Black Adam, is is resurrected from his imprisonment. You know, he is he's like released with the magic words. And shortly after that, the Justice Society becomes aware of his arrival and they're going to deal with him, which totally makes sense. They get there, they rumble for a little while, they stop, they decide to have a conversation about whether they will continue fighting or not. This is like mediated by the woman who has the crown of Sabat and is trying to, you know, tell the Justice Society that Black Adam is like good for Kondok and that they need him and yada, yada, yada. But then they have that conversation, determine that they should continue to fight and then just start fighting again. They just start fighting again. And then the intergang guys get into the mix and um, this is where the pacing gets totally bonkers because it's like we had fight, short conversation, weird, weird pause, weird break pump, back into the same exact fight with the same exact players. Then we introduce the intergang guys. They kidnap the kid and now it's like we're working together um, to save the kid. So that just, that whole sequence is very odd. Then what's even more puzzling is this. The guy... Um, the bad guy, Ishmael uh, is his name. He yep, yep. gets himself killed intentionally. We find out later, um, which was not not that big of a not that big of a surprise. But after they get him killed, they convince Black Adam to say Shazam to relinquish his powers so that they can basically ship him off to Amanda Waller and and Task Force X to be basically cryo slept for all eternity, I guess. And then the guy comes back and they're like, okay, let's wake up black Adam. It's like that. I understand. I guess I understand technically why they had to do that because it's like, okay, the threat is dead. Let's sleep this guy. Oh, the threat's not dead. We need him back. But it's just such a bizarre thing to like put black Adam on ice for like a very, very, very short period of time. Like in it, it, in this, in the sense of the movie, it's like an infinitesimal period of time and then it's like all right wake him up it's it's like that that meme um from the simpsons where the grandpa is like walking into the bar and like spins around and puts his hat on the thing and then spins around again and picks up his hat and walks right back out the door that's basically what black adam did in the cryo sleep chamber he was like asleep and then immediately awoken so it was just it was bizarre um there are tons of things that I hated about this movie, but I think that that takes the cake because it's like you have all this same things that you get with recent DC movies. And this is, you know, you can, you can call me a hater or whatever, but this is just, this is the truth. You have way too much super unrealistic looking CGI, a terrible, horrible villain. They always have these like villains from the underworld who look like crap. Even when they had dark side in, just Zack Snyder's Justice League. He looked awful. Apocalypse looked awful, or yes. not not Apocalypse. Um, well, he did too, but <laughs> no, he looked he looks bad too. He looks like Ivan News. But I'm talking about the guy um, Steppenwolf. Oh, so bad. Yeah. Um, all these characters that just look really bad. I, I I even harken back to Wonder Woman and the first Shazam movie. Those guys looked terrible. So you get that. You get the the over CGI, the super slow-mo scenes, 
I, I was like, if you told me Zack Snyder directed this movie, I would have 1000% believed you. It just looked like a very typical Zack Snyder film. And I just have really hated the aesthetic choices that they have made. But let's say you love all that stuff. You love the really crazy, almost anime style action sequences that really don't even appear at all in the realm of reality. Um, and I know that we're talking about superhero movies, so it's not supposed to be, but it's supposed to feel real. It's supposed to suspend your disbelief and make you feel like it could be happening, which is something that I think that Marvel as the only real comparison to them has done well um, to date with their big action sequences. They make you feel like it could be in a real texture. So even if you like that stuff, then you've got the really bad acting, the writing that is just qu super questionable with dialogue that is ultra cringy at times and these these weird things they throw in to try to make it funny, um, like the kid trying to give Black Adam a catchphrase and, yeah, oh, it's just horrible. Um, so you add all that in and it's just really not a good movie. It's just not. But the, the, the sequencing of events is what I hated the most, by far. Excellent. Excellent scope of review of negative events. I would like to highlight the same things, very similarly. Um, I think we definitely, you could have absolutely swapped out either or both. This was co-directed by, uh, uh, by, oh my gosh, Zack Snyder. <laughs> And Michael Bay because of the speed and the style. I mean, those jump cuts were just like, boom, 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 yes, boom. Dude. Every time you turned around, you couldn't see anyone's face at times. It was just rough. And then, yes, the slow-mo, even back to my, you know, my favorite part of the movie, the beginning, before anything else unfolded, uh, where they stabbed the little uh, the boy and they kick him off the mountain, right? And he goes, he goes bye-bye, right? So... Uh, man, there's so much, there's so much here. I mean, speaking to the same, the same section you did where there was let's cryo freeze him. And then immediately less than one minute of screen time later, we got to wake him up. Uh, that absolutely should have been the opportunity where they ended the movie structured the middle a little bit differently, but you leave it on a cliffhanger and all of a sudden black Adam is needed uh, evil to fight evil. Right. But you don't bring it this back in black Adam, Two, you bring this in the Justice Society and you have that play out there. Like, it'd be the perfect thing. You have Ishmael become whatever monster he is, get some better CGI, or don't fully unveil it and spend that money in the next movie. And Black Adam's eyes will open up when they say, we gotta get him. That is how that should have played out. And then you have an immediate lead to Justice Society movie. You had a great group of characters. And now we're not in a movie where the villain is going to win, where there's this weird continuous thing where when a villain when we have these villain origin stories they don't often work because we don't want the villain to win or the villain is a good guy and we know he's a bad guy so this <laughs> we've got to stop making villain origin stories i hope this is the very last one forever it, it just does not fundamentally work with normal human psyche uh normal good people in the world um i thought that uh, again, we talked about Terminator vibes. We talked about uh, the character of Amen was just uh, an absolute waste. Oh, let's talk about how Black Adam is just constantly floating. That choice was just awful. <laughs> yes, just... it looked it looked silly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
you know, like those, those floating eagle things that like balance on a little, like on their nose and they just kind of like spin around a little. That's what he was the entire film. And then he just smashed through walls, smashed through doors. And you didn't know, like, is this supposed to be funny? Like he's brooding and like, that was like that kid's living room. So like, what was the point when the door, (laughs) they even make a joke where they're like, guess you didn't have doors in your time. And he's like, no, we did. That's how we got into rooms. And I'm like, Oh, that's a terrible joke. And also it just makes this bit so stupid. Yes. That might've been the worst one. That might've been the worst line of the film because it was trying so, so hard, so hard. Um, it was also, you know, you, you had, the Adam Smasher, um, Ant-Man uh, kind of illusions, Hank Pym, Henry Winkler appears for five seconds. I think that was unnecessary. I don't I don't think you needed to have, you, you didn't need to cast Henry Winkler in there because I'm like, well, I want to see more Henry Winkler. Bring him back. And we don't get to see him because this isn't a hero's movie. It's a villain's movie. Um, and I, I just thought that the, the 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 fallout the twist was just flat out stupid the twist that um it wasn't the sun you were led to believe like i don't know enough about black adam so i was like oh well this is the kid uh this is the kid he 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 stayed black adam he was locked in it no it was actually his father like that twist that would have just been good to know from the get-go and find a different left hook uh the left hook could have been uh the ending that i talked about like this is a cliffhanger find out more in justice society uh blah 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 whatever sub subtitle that you want underneath that uh i just think that that coming back to that and spending so much more time on that was such a waste of the attempted momentum that they were trying to build and it didn't do anything. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, it's the dad. It was like, hey, it's uh, it's actually been the rock all along. We there's nothing, there's nothing more interesting here. Uh, I, I just, it wasn't for me. There's a better left hook that's there, and they they just let it, they let it die. And then of course the the entire uh, uh, infrastructure, the entire network of intergang was underplayed and the Mephisto G- G- uh, CGI was terrible. What is that character's name, Ishmael? Does he have an actual character name? Well, does he get, I think he gets, he turns into Sabat, right? That's like the crown, Sabat, the that's crown right. of Sabat. Sabat. That's, yeah. That thing could not have looked worse. I mean, it just oh. was horrible. It just was so bad. I, I like, I can't, I can't overstate it. It was so bad. And to your point on the, um, the, the the hook, the left hook in the movie. What was really weird about that choice of them to make that a left hook is that he says it in the main theatrical trailer that they've been showing for months. He says, <laughs> um, they killed my son and now, and I couldn't save him. It, like he said, that line is in the trailer. And I'm like, why is this your twist? When like people who really like, watched the trailers multiple times and are hyped about it are already going to know that. And so then for them, it's like not a left hook, you know, it's just like yeah. a thing that they're waiting for, I guess. I don't know. That was a bizarre, that was, I agree with you. That was a bizarre choice. Yeah. All right. Final thoughts and scores. I'm not going to go too much longer on this movie. I think it's clear that I have some big issues with it, but I think ultimately I'm really disappointed. I, I don't know how I keep getting tricked by DC, um, into thinking they can create a good movie. I I guess I thought after the Batman was so great and 
the Suicide Squad and Peacemaker that they were just on a roll. And I really did have belief in this project, like probably more than most. I just, in my head, it made sense that this could be a good thing and that they could make something out of it. Um, and I ended up just really disappointed. I, I, this feels to me right in line with the Aquaman's Wonder Woman 1984's Batman versus Superman Justice League ilk of DC movies that I just really have not enjoyed. I felt like the aesthetics were all off. I felt like the editing and, and the slow-mo and the things that they have done in all these movies um, once again looked bad. I think there's way too much CGI going on that doesn't look good and will not hold up. It doesn't even look good now. Um, right. And, you know, the action sequences, like you can go big and you can go anime-style action sequences, but you just have to, like... I don't know. You have to pick one way or the other. There are so many scenes where they're like, see, this could be happening. This is real life. And then the other scenes are like so far crazy from an art direction standpoint that it's like, what world are we even in now? This doesn't even look like the real world anymore. Um, it's just, it's a mess. This movie is a mess. And I kept waiting for it to improve, but it didn't. I think the plot is coherent enough. Um, there are some memorable characters, particularly the Justice Society, except for Aldous Hodge, who I was not impressed by in this movie, I, and I really like him. I thought his Hawkman performance was rough. Uh, I thought he made some really weird choices. But all of that aside, there are some bits and pieces that are maybe like salvageable going forward in terms of the Justice Society and maybe Black Adam, but this thing is a mess. It's not a good movie. Um it doesn't check very many boxes that good movies check in terms of looking good, being consistent, having good dialogue, having good characters with character arcs that are fulfilling. Um, there's just, there's, there's not enough going for it. I'm giving it a 2.5 out of 10 kernels. Mm, 2.5. That's a nice round number. I like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, what else can we say? I think I'm all out of words. Uh, I mean, I'm right there, right there with you. I think that I'm going to give a little bit more uh, credit because of the well-developed Justice Society. I do hope we see more of them. I do hope they get their own individual or team film, and I hope they make Cyclone a better character. I, I really just think that the actress is really committed. They're just they just didn't give her any substance. Uh, so I, I really think that there is a lot of a lot of magic uh, waiting to be uh, really fanned right there. The, the fire, the spark is there. The fire just needs to be fanned. And other than that, this thing was very disappointing. Very, very disappointing. It's going to get a three point. Uh, I'm wavering. It's either a 2.7. I'm going to go with the two, a 3.2 out of 10 kernels. I really wanted to give it more just because I think some of those those characters really worked hard uh, and they deserve better than this. And I, I really hope that we get a Justice Society film. Yeah, I know DC has big plans um, for the Justice Society. And of course, we'll, uh, we'll get into it now. But that is our review of Black Adam. Let's, let's segue immediately into today's big DC news and talk about um, the 
what's what to expect from the new DC studios. If you were around for the top of the show and have skipped forward to avoid spoilers, the one spoiler we will discuss is the cameo at the end of black Adam. So if you somehow still don't know that and because Dwayne Johnson's literally just out there telling people and a certain someone has posted on their Instagram, a video about their appearance in that movie. But if, if you don't want to hear about that, you can go. That's totally fine. You can swing back once you have seen the movie and hear about that. But that is the one spoiler from Black Adam that we will discuss. Everything else will be avoided. So you are safe. Uh, but let's talk about DC Studios, um, which is the new division of Warner Bros. that was just birthed today out of the ashes of DC Films, which was headed by Walter Hamada for so many years. He officially resigned as of the end of Black Adam. Once Black Adam premiered, he rolled out and as of November 1st James Gunn and Peter Safran will be taking over as co-CEOs of DC Studios so Kirk let's talk a little bit about how this arrangement is going to work so uh, from the incredible article by our our favorite insider Boris Kitt from the Hollywood Reporter Boris uh, Boris is just absolutely slaying these days he was the one with the big DC scoops uh, what was that last week, two weeks ago about how there's a flash movie in the works and how there's another James Gunn movie in the works and all this stuff. Um, but in his article, basically the way that they outline this, uh, first of all, you should know that this sort of thing with filmmakers and producers jumping into the chair of studio executives is not common. Uh, if, if it has ever happened, I know that at Pixar, they have a, they have a hierarchy in which, filmmakers and producers are the executives there. Like the filmmakers are also the executives. And that I guess is what um, Warner discovery CEO David Zasloff is trying to emulate. And that's what other people have surmised, including Boris kit. But this is in terms of live action movies, this has not been done. So you have filmmakers taking over as the executives reporting to the CEO of DC studios or, or reporting to the CEO David Zasloff, and then running DC Studios. So that is crazy. The other thing is that James Gunn will continue to direct films, which is interesting. Um, so he's moving into an executive role, role, getting the title of CEO and chair, but also still going to step behind the camera and direct movies for DC Studios. Um, other things, it remains to be seen, according to Boris Kitt, what will happen with the Batman trilogy that they don't know if that will fall under the purview and um, supervision of Gunn and Saffron, but that the spinoffs will, I guess, the Batman television spinoffs for HBO Max and whatnot will fall under their purview, and that Joker uh, fully adieu will stay under the purview of Pamela Abdi and Michael DeLuca, who are the Warner um, film chiefs, since that movie's already rolling. But everything else for DC for the next four years at least will be Gunn and Saffron. Kirk, your thoughts? It's a great day. It is a great day. Um, I uh, My only, I guess, uh, hesitation would be that, you know, Christopher Nolan had his hands in this for a long time and did nothing with it. <laughs> and so I hope that we get the the right, the correct magic and attention uh, that James Gunn has already given the DC 
uh, world and universe and characters. I hope that we get that going forward. I can't imagine with him we get anything less. So I just want him to not be distracted or um, like knocked down by anyone or by structures, procedures in place. I just want him to say, forget it. We're just doing this. We're making art. We're making fun. We're making movies. Let's go. And I hope, I just hope everyone just gets out of his way. Yeah. I know when Nolan was there, he, this was a very different arrangement for Nolan. Nolan was kind of like the creative, like he was a creative input, executive producer um, role, but he certainly wasn't, talking dollars and cents, you know, he was getting a lot of mandated stuff from the studio pushed down to him in terms of who they could cast, what could, what they could pay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think this based on the massive hierarchical shift that is going on here, um, this feels like a good situation to me yeah. for, for Gunn and Saffron. They have a longstanding working relationship. I think people were sort of worried that like, with Saffron being the money and Gunn being the creative that they will clash. But there is a massive history. Uh, Peter Saffron used to be a manager. That's how he came up in the the world of film. And James Gunn was one of his clients. So oh. they worked together in that relationship. And then they, pr- they have gone on to produce movies together. Um, Peter Saffron has been really involved in the horror genre, producing films there. James Gunn also cut his teeth in indie horror. Um, and then they also worked together on The Suicide Squad as well as Peacemaker. So they do have a good <clears throat> working relationship, which excites me. I think the other thing is that, I mean, probably the thing that people can rest, DC fans can rest most easy about tonight is that James Gunn loves these characters. He just, he, he loves them. And I'm sure, I don't know as much about Peter Safran, but um, James Gunn is going to make sure from a creative perspective that they are represented accurately right and the way that we have come to love and and know these characters i have the utmost confidence that he is going to make sure that that happens what i don't have a ton of confidence in is how they pick up the pieces of what they already have okay so we've got the dcu (laughs) i guess um which to me is a fragmented disgusting mess at this point i'm sorry it just still is Black Adam is a stinker. Yes. It is. And unfortunately, it's tied to what they're doing in the future because Henry Cavill's return as Superman, there's your spoiler that I warned you about, comes at the end of that. And it it appears to allude to the fact that one of the next times that we see Henry Cavill will be with Black, Black Adam, you know, because he's doing the whole we need to talk thing. Um, yep. You've got the flash that's been spoken about ad nauseum, why that's a mess. And then you've got a bunch of other characters who are in varying states of limbo, including the fact that Batman is off on an Island making different Batman movies with Robert Pattinson that won't cross over. Um, I think that's a good thing, but I think it's like, now what do we do with the connected universe? And you've got wonder woman whose second movie sucked. Yes. And, um, who knows what's going to happen with the third one. You've got Aquaman whose first movie was mid at best and no. whose second movie has been backburnered a thousand times and delayed a thousand times. And that has references that possibly uh, that Ben Affleck was filming scenes. For oh, them. I know. Like, I know. Whether and, they'll come to fruition or make it off the cutting room floor. We don't know, but there there's an attempt 
to resurface him. Yes, there is. And there were, there were rumors and I don't know if it was ever confirmed that he would appear in the flash too, as Bruce right. Wayne during some of their time hopping stuff. So it's just, in my opinion, and there, I'm sure there are people out there who disagree and that's fine. It's a mess. And, and frankly, no matter how much of a creative genius you are. And I know that James Gunn is the utmost creative genius when certainly when it comes to comic book films, as we've seen, I don't know that even someone of his caliber is able to salvage what's left. I would be so happy if they turned around on November 1st and said, everything that's happened in DC EU to date is dead and gone. I want him to stand on a stage and have every DVD of all the films and burn them. (laughs) (laughs) Like seriously, I I am concerned about, I am concerned about that though. That's my one lingering concern here. Yes. I think, you know, and he, he holds out, you know, Shazam one is salvageable. Again, I think it's their, I think it goes man of steel and, uh, and Shazam are their best properties that have come out about through all of this mess that they've attempted. There, there really is. Are, are there any other ones you would the say? The Suicide him? Squad. James Gunn. Oh yeah, The Suicide Squad. That goes without saying because yes. I don't even, it's in a different league. But I agree. <laughs> I agree. Otherwise, I, I do agree with you. Yeah. The rest, trash them, burn them. Let's keep going forward with those, uh, including The Flash. <laughs> burn it. <laughs> Let's get Grant Gustin in his place where he belongs on the silver screen as The Flash and let's go. Let's take off. I think there's there's so many stories to tell. You've got, you know, the great race of the Flash and Superman hasn't even happened. That's one of the most iconic stories ever. We haven't seen that yet in, in almost 15 years of the DCEU existing. Like, what? What? Why did they choose the movies that they've chosen to make? It's bonkers to me. If they can find a way to salvage Wonder Woman 2, that would be mm-hmm. great. I know that that second movie was really bad. But the first yeah. movie was was good. I'm not nearly as high on that first movie as some others are. Some people think right. that movie's fantastic. I think it's I think it's on the good side of okay. Um like it's very watchable, but it still is not it's far from perfect. You know but what made me so mad about that movie? The first one? Yeah. Yeah. It's an okay. It's okay. And then at the end, the very last scene, she jumps across the entire city in the the final prologue before the credits roll. And I'm like, what in the world? Yeah. Who in their right mind greenlit that, that she can just jump across an entire city? Whoever Lost greenlit me. everything else that happened in the, in the sequel, because the sequel was full of baddie, baddie stuff. Um, yes. Which is like, you know, Thor had bad, a bad sequel and there have been other like Marvel movies that have had bad sequels, but it's like one, they there, Wonder Woman, bad. Wonder Woman 1984 is a tough thing to come back from. That was a rough Ouch. deal. Um, but I think my final thoughts on this and, and like to summarize is like, if you're a DC fan, I think you have to be feeling really good about this. I, I certainly do. As a, as a DC Comics fan and as a, as a huge fan of these characters, Batman being my favorite superhero of all time and many of the DC characters being very near and dear to my heart, um, I feel a lot better than I did yesterday. I feel a lot better than I did um, in recent years about DC, even despite the steaming pile of garbage that is sitting there right now like having Henry Cavill in tow is good, regardless of the messiness that they have to untwist there. 
having James Gunn at the fold is good, regardless of the fact that he's got to figure out what to do with Batman. He's got to figure out to do with the flash. He's got to figure out what to do with wonder woman and Aquaman and all those guys. They have as good a shot at fixing this thing now as they will ever have. And if they swing and miss at this, then we all just need to quit. We all just need to be like, you know what? Maybe in another 30 years, but like, I agree. This is it. This is the moment. This is the chance. They've got to cash it in. They've got to do it. And if James Gunn doesn't give us a live action Batman Beyond with Michael Keaton as old Batman, then <laughs> I do not know who I can trust anymore. I could tell you because they specifically said in this press release that uh, animation falls under them too. And I was like, Oh, really? I feel like Batman Beyond is coming back in some way. It's just too popular. I feel the same way about Static Shock. There have been rumblings about Static Shock forever. Yes. And they every stupid DC fandom, they tease some project that never gets greenlit, that never happens about Static Shock or Batman Beyond or what have you. It's finally going to happen. It has yes. to. I mean, if we do nothing else... I agree. For the rest of our lives, Cam, except for be hype men for those two series. I agree. That's all I want in my in my Batman life. And, I will Batman Beyond and Static Shock have to be revived. It has to yes. happen. That's just there's no more arguing it. Done. All right, Kirk. Well, we'll see. Any any last thoughts on Gun and Saffron at DC? Are you feeling feeling like you said your piece? I've said my piece. We're in good hands, but don't mess it up. Yeah, I hope I know that they shuttered DC fandom, but I hope that I'm really hoping that next Comic-Con Gun and Saffron take the stage and just burn the place down with with a huge slate of epic projects. Yes. A rivalry, a true film rivalry between DC and Marvel would be so good. Like we would be eating well friends and it would, it would make Marvel feel like they have to push harder, which is a good thing. Um, I don't know. I, I want it. I want it so bad. I want it so bad. We will see. We will see for now. We can only wait and hope, but thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I know it's a super long episode, but definitely wanted to make sure we carved out time to discuss not only Black Adam, the biggest blockbuster in the show right now, but also the massive news that James Gunn and Peter Safran will be taking over as co-CEOs of the newly minted DC Studios. Big time news, big time episode. We thank you so much for listening and being here. We also thank our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs, who is a member of the wonderful band Rhetoric, who created our original music, which you are hearing fade up right now. We will be back next week with some new What's Poppin'. Talk to you then.